but we talk about big T and little t traumas. And um, yeah, so the big T traumas are the things like the rape war, things like that, the things that, that we tend to think of with trauma. But little t traumas are, are the things that have a lot of emotional charge to them. Or like I said, go on for a while. For example, an example of trauma that I see in my practice sometimes is a woman who experiences um, uh, morning sickness, the duration of her pregnancy. And while that's not a, a life or death situation, it just wears on us, on our nervous system. It feels like it's never going to end. And the accumulation of that stress leaves an impact on us. Motherhood is a full-time job, except there's no clocking out. Hi, I'm Allison, doctor of physical therapy, mom of two, and women's health nerd. Join me as we dive deep into motherhood and answer the questions that everyone wants to know, but no one wants to ask. So grab a coffee, water or wine, and get comfy while we chat with some of the top women's health practitioners who support moms from fertility through empty nest to improve our mental, emotional, and physical well-being. This is the All Out Motherhood Podcast. Hey, everyone. We are here today with Renee Grinneman, and I'm going to let her tell you a little bit about herself. She has some great knowledge when it comes to trauma and pregnancy, postpartum, and we're just going to really kind of dive in today. Okay. Hi, it's good to talk to you, Allison. So yeah, thank you. Yes, I've been working with women around perinatal issues since about 2011. But as I was sharing before the show, I've also been, I also taught yoga classes to women who were preparing for birth prior to that. Yeah. My main focus has been on bringing the, the yoga therapeutics into the process of supporting a woman. I am a mental health counselor and I specialize in working with trauma and anxiety and also postpartum depression. And so often working with either perinatal trauma, things that happen during the pregnancy, during the birth process, or in the postpartum recovery process, or also supporting women in preparing for birth, whether it's coming off of a challenging birth and into their next pregnancy, or, or just preparing emotionally for their first birth. Oh, that's so amazing. And such a needed kind of realm of pregnancy and postpartum care and just women's health care in general. I don't think a lot of people realize how something that happens during your pregnancy or birth or, you know, in, during that perinatal period where at the time you could, you just, you know, kind of push through and get through it and everything. But then later you come to realize like, wow, that really affected me a lot more than I realized or it might be something like, you know, having a C-section when you had a very planned birth and it just takes a while to, to kind of get over that and, and come to terms with you didn't get the birth that you wanted or, you know, along those lines. Absolutely. And, and like you're referring to there, it's, you know, this idea of trauma, which is something that I talk about a lot. A lot of times people don't even realize that they've been through a trauma. You know, because absolutely, like, you know, like not getting the birth you want. Sometimes people think, oh, well, you know, that's that's part of the process, you know, and so they don't realize that it was traumatic to them, or they may they may not even recognize that ongoing stress can add up to trauma as well. 
Oh, definitely. And and like you said, I, I feel like when, when you hear the word trauma, you know, everyone kind of thinks like a very large event, like you were in a really bad car accident or, you know, a sexual assault or something that is a really big kind of life changing event. Whereas trauma can really mean things that are not as maybe not as profound at the time, but they have a profound influence on our life. Absolutely. Yeah. So I often talk about, and I believe that Bessel van der Kolk maybe was the first person to introduce this idea, but we talk about big T and little t traumas. And yeah, so the big T traumas are the things like the rape war, things like that, the things that, that we tend to think of with trauma. Mm-hmm. But little t traumas are, are the things that have a lot of emotional charge to them. Or like I said, go on for a while. For example, an example of trauma that I see in my practice sometimes is a woman who experiences morning sickness, the duration of her pregnancy. And while that's not a a life or death situation, it just wears on us, on our nervous system. It feels like it's never going to end. And the accumulation of that stress leaves an impact on us. Yeah, and that's such a great example because so many women I know have morning sickness, even even just for the first trimester. But it 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 really does weigh on you a lot. And and I had miserable morning sickness with both of my kids until probably around 17, 18 weeks. But luckily for me, it, it you know died back. But a friend of mine had that happen, and she had just wound up with the hyperemesis, and she was sick her entire second pregnancy. And she had a two-year-old at the time who was still nursing. And just, I remember her talking about that. And, oh, I just can't even, I can't imagine, you know. And that's such a great example that I think so many people can relate to. Yeah, yeah. And and it's it's interesting because what, what happens then is, you know, after we go through something like that, what I tell people is our, our body, our mind memorizes this situation because we're, we're designed with our animal brain for survival. And so if anything feels like a threat stresses us out in some way, the, the mind decides, okay, if, if I memorize every detail of this, now that I know that things like this happen in the world and I have this perfectly memorized and then we sear it into our nervous system. So it's, it's stored differently for us in our body then the body can get this fraction of a second advantage to to recognize the danger and escape it the next time. And so, for example, somebody who, you know, maybe the the baby had feeding issues after the birth, you know, now anytime the child, you know, who's now 10 years old rejects food or something like that, this actually becomes a trigger because it was this, uh, my child, it was something with food. And now all of a sudden, I'm really like hyped up because my body is prepared for this level of stress again. So the, the body will literally memorize things like the, the sights, the sounds, the people we're around, you know, like all these little details, our beliefs about ourselves. And so it, it gets very literal like this is the subconscious uh, mind that we're talking about here, what we think of as subconscious. And so I have literally run into people who, you know, like 
So an example of what I mean by literal is I always tell people like if there was a red ball at the original location, the color red may trigger me. It that red ball may have had nothing to do with my baby not eating, you wow. know, experiencing uh-huh. to thrive, but it is now a trigger, and we may not even realize it because who would think that a red ball matters, right? And yeah. so it memorizes things in that much detail. So really interesting. That's so in- interesting that you say that, and and. I was just thinking back to my son's birth when you were talking about this, and there were definitely some traumatic things that happened during his birth. It did not go as planned, and there were some time. I I did a home birth, and there were some three different instances we thought I was going to have to transfer, like kind of immediately to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And just thinking back, like you're right. Like there are certain things that if I think about it could definitely trigger me or it, and not even like a, like a known trigger, like you said, but just kind of where my body, the, the stress and the anxiety kind of builds up and I may not realize why, but it's probably something related to that. That's so interesting and amazing how our body kind of stores information and brings it back up. Sometimes it, not the most inopportune times, but. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so all of a sudden we're like all hyped up and we have no idea why. Or the other thing that I run into is like people thinking, oh, well, that shouldn't bother me. You know, like we have these, these ideas that we are supposed to be able to get past this. Well, if this is survival, we don't, we don't, we don't just quit doing it. You know, like we can't think our way out of this. We've got to actually reset the nervous system. And there's ways to do that. But I, I sometimes have people come to me who describe the challenges they're having. And as I listen, I I can narrow in. I can just tell by the types of literal things that they're describing to me. I'm like, what happened during your pregnancies? You know, like, and so I, so I have had people, like I said, like 20 years down the line and I'm like, you know, what happened? Cause I can tell that it came from a pregnancy because pregnancies are, are a really ripe time for that because we're in this very animal state of mind. And, you know, cause this is a very primitive type um, thing that we're going through we're feeling very protective of our child. We are perhaps, especially for a new mom, in a confusing state. We've never been through this before. There's a lot of sensation to it, which can feel overwhelming and confusing to the animal mind. And then we go straight into our postpartum period where we're not getting any sleep. Like losing sleep is a a driver of things setting up as PTSD. Not that all of the perinatal trauma goes to PTSD, but it does sometimes. So like there's all these things that become this continuous pressure on our bodies that if we can't process it well in the moment, it's going to stick around. Yeah, it's not it's and that doesn't mean that it can't get reset. Like I said, there are ways to do it, but it it will literally stick around even 20 years down the road. It's very interesting. And I think that's really validating for a lot of people to hear, because especially with our generation, those of us born in like the 70s and 80s, especially it was a very, oh, you're fine. Just kind of get over it or basically just push your feelings inside to, you know, shove them down as deep and far as you can go and everything will be okay. And that's, it's just not 
really the case. You kind of have to confront what's going on and start to dig deep into things. And that's probably why a lot of our generations do go to therapy and have great success with therapy and and or a lot of us need to go to therapy. (laughs) And I think therapy is such a, you know, for for a long time when we were growing up, it was kind of a, I don't want to say taboo, but it kind of was taboo to talk about. You know, nobody admitted that they went to therapy and nobody admitted that they needed to, or, you know, that was looked at as a weakness. Whereas now we're starting to look at it like, oh, you have a great therapist. Like, I'm kind of jealous that you're going to therapy, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> which is great. That that really needs to come out and come to a head. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and we have, you know, we, we do tend to want to stuff things. And like you said, and we have this story that time will heal. And there's there's some things that that time can't when when it gets stored in a different way. It's just stored in a different way until you reset it. You know, mm-hmm. but yeah, the other thing is whenever we go through something that's stressful like that, anything that's anxiety related, what, you know, like instinctually, we know this and people who live with anxiety understand this when I say it to them. But if we if we shove it down, you know, like shoving it down is effective for getting through the immediate moment, but it's not an effective long term strategy. Basically, what it does is it just like a, a wound, it's going to fester until you actually clean it out, right? And so that's really what's scary for people when, when dealing with um, these issues, that it's also what's going to heal. It's, it's acting on you regardless, you know, mm-hmm. like you're getting the response regardless, so it's better to turn towards the, you know, dark figure on the street and see what it is than to, you know, keep your head down and keep you know, walking away from it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's such a great example. It is like a, a wound that, you know, you can kind of patch it for the time being, but you still have to address it later for it to heal properly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And now you work with women remotely mm-hmm. and in person. Yes. Or yeah. just remotely. Okay. Uh, well, since COVID, I have sure. <laughs> shifted to exclusively online. But prior to that, I was seeing people in person. And I imagine I'll return to it at some point. So sure, yeah. sure. And has has seeing people in person kind of, or um, not in person, sorry, has seeing people online kind of opened up some doors for you, like as in maybe some women who wouldn't have come to traditional therapy now, now they're more willing to do it remotely. I would say so. Yeah. I've always, you know, with, with my office, you know, like I I would have mamas come in that were breastfeeding and everything else. So that was always such a pleasure to be able to do that. But I think that it makes it more accessible, especially when you're in that postpartum period to not have to figure out how to juggle it around the baby's nap or feeding schedule, or, you know, maybe you have a few toddlers in the household as well. And so it definitely makes it more accessible to women. Yeah, that's wonderful. I know just thinking about myself with, you know, almost four year old and an 11 month old, just trying to imagine myself getting out of the house and going and sitting in someone else's office for <laughs> for an appointment it just almost gives me anxiety myself but thinking about doing it online and you know if the kids are running around in the background like who who cares that's it's part of life that that really 
kind of even just opens the door for for me as well. So that's that's wonderful to hear. How, what are some things that you do to to kind of address these with people and, and how do you help them kind of start to dig deep? So normally whenever people first approach me, it, to be honest, it's often either through referral or it's often somebody who's experiencing postpartum depression. And, and also, to be honest, most of the time, you know, we're, we're raising kids, we're running, <laughs> we are, and, and it's hard, like you said, for us to, to think I need therapy because we have this stigma against it. So a lot of times, if people approach me, it's because they've already like run the courses on everything else, unfortunately, or they've got a good care practitioner, you know, like dual. So I do definitely work with doulas and midwives and nurses and doctors in the area to recognize when something's going on so that they can be referred. So a lot of times people are reaching for medication first, or they don't want to take medication because they're breastfeeding and they will come to me. And we have, what will happen with the postpartum depression is we have a, we have a new awareness around it. And that's been a good thing. But, but, and it's a double-edged sword because (laughs) what will happen with that new awareness is everything gets thrown into that postpartum depression. It's your hormones bucket. And so it's hard for people to recognize that our, our neurotransmitters, our hormones, our stress hormones, all of that stuff is shifting because something happened to us. It's not just that those crazy hormones that women have are messing mm. with them. <laughs> yes, um, I... so that's why it's a double-edged sword. We're willing to call it what it is now. We, we're not willing to look at what the root cause might be. And yeah. what will happen with that bucket is it undermines us because again, that, you know, there's this thing that, oh, hormones, they're just going to mess with you. Yeah. And it makes us um, fall victim in some ways. So a lot of times women will call me to discuss that. And I always tell them that if they're concerned about hormones, go ahead and see your doctor. I can tell you in all the years I've been working with postpartum depression, I have had two instances, I think. I'm not going, you know, like I'm not going to to uh, be quoted on that. Sure. <laughs> Just recorded on a podcast. Where, right where it was, <laughs> where, Perfect. <laughs> so just a couple instances where it was hormones. Almost wow. I have been able to find where the trauma point is. And, and so that's that's big. That says a That lot. is very big, yeah, because you do hear that all the time, like, oh, it's your hormones, they'll regulate in X amount of months or you know, whatever. So mm-hmm. that's kind of amazing to hear that. Yeah, because meanwhile, yeah, if you do like not in some cases, you do not think of this on a daily basis, or you don't get triggered on a daily basis. But in a lot of situations, you're continuing to get triggered because it was a trauma, you know, Mm -hmm. so it makes it hard, for example, to see another pregnant woman, or, you know, Mm -hmm. meanwhile, you know, assuming you are of that age, you know, like people all around you are having babies at that point, right. And so here's a regular trigger that's showing up on your doorstep all the time sure. and figure out why you can't just get past it. You're getting triggered all the time. So that, 
Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So with the postpartum depression, I'm I'm always help, listening to people, helping them to, you know, I ask questions that help us to narrow in. And because because of my experience, I'm able to narrow in on where did it happen? You know, like what is this linking to? And when once we do that, that starts to to open some doors because you know like whenever you know like it may not be in your conscious awareness at first but once you narrow in there it's like yeah that was kind of tough Mm -hmm. it starts to click yeah exactly so let's talk about for a second the normal type feelings that a woman might feel during postpartum versus things that are starting to get more into like the postpartum depression and anxiety realm i think a lot of people feel like there's some emotions and feelings that they're feeling that are just totally normal, whereas they might be more on the other end of the scale. And I think a lot of us just don't, don't know exactly. And when we're, when you're talking to your physician or something, a lot of times we downplay (laughs) what we're actually feeling. So let's, let's chat a minute about that. Yeah. So that's an interesting question. Let me think a moment. How would I discern that for someone? If, yeah. it, if it keeps coming uh, over and over, I would use that as a distinguishing factor. If it feels like you just can't shake it in some way, with everything, there is an adjustment period, you know? And so normally, if somebody comes to me immediately after a birth, you know, like I will take them on as a client right away, of course, but a lot of times they're still in that adjustment period. And so what I'll tell them is, look, just keep telling your story right now. You know, like tell it to people who are kind, who are receptive, who aren't going to be like, oh, well, at least the baby's healthy. Or, you know, like the people who like kind of dismiss your story. Yes. If you can tell that story in safe environments, it may it may work through successfully without additional need. Okay, so I usually tell people give it a few weeks, and you know, like any time we go through stress, we have a a response in our body and mind, and it will eventually level out. If it is getting more stuck, then you're going to know after a few weeks. It's going to be things like reminders, triggers. One one guideline that I tell people is if you allowed yourself to go back and focus on that. And so if you're questioning, well, did, did my morning sickness throughout my pregnancy bother me? Go back and focus on it and bring it up in as much detail as you can. And if it triggers you or if you just are like, nope, not going to go there. <laughs> That's the triggers you. Um, then, then you know, this is a sign that this is something that's that's got a little bit too much charge for you, right? And so, so that's going to be a good indicator. The other thing that is going to be a good indicator is if you do topple into depression. So, depression is what happens when we have been in a state of anxiety for so long that the body says, yeah, we can't do this anymore. And it shuts things down. So I I compare it to like a gazelle running from a lion or 
I don't know, whatever animal it's going to run from, but <laughs> you know, like it's going to run and run and run. And eventually it's just like, there's no more run in me. And so that, that shutdown, that, that it's a parasympathetic nervous system response, which is the part of the nervous system that's actually responsible for our rest and digest. But it also functions over at that extreme end where it, it just is like too much, too long. Let's shut it down. And so that's an anxiety based depression. Okay. So if you topple into depression, I would definitely get to get in to see someone because that's a sign it's just been too much for too long. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. And what would be some, you know, quote unquote, symptoms of like a, a depressive state that you would you would start to feel those warning signs? Like what are some things that you might be feeling or noticing um, that you're doing or maybe not doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so these these are going to be your traditional depression warning signs. So either sleeping too much or unable to sleep, it's going to be a withdrawal from typical activities. It's going to be pulling away from relationships that matter to you. Things like changes in appetite triggers around you that that's going to be something that's easy to recognize changes in energy level and of course this is hard to discern postpartum because of you know you're just adjusting to something new and you're tired all the time right Mm -hmm. so if you have any question you know it's it's better to err on the side of caution of course absolutely the the other thing that that i want to bring up now that you're mentioning it too is you know you the reason postpartum depression got so much press several years ago were instances of women feeling challenged to connect with their babies, right? Mm-hmm. And in some cases, killing their babies. That's how it got all the press, unfortunately. That That is a clear sign to me of trauma as well, because that baby was part of what you went through. And so if you're feeling like I'm having a hard time connecting to my baby, I don't know if I even want to hold them, things like that, it's not, you're not broken and you're, you are totally able to get through this if you get in to see someone because that, that baby has inadvertently become a trigger to the trauma. It is not that you're a bad mother because the baby was part of it. The baby was Mm -hmm. there. Right. And that makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And on that note, I know you said that, you know, going through a state of anxiety for so long is kind of what starts to trigger the the dip into depression. And I think there's a lot of women and more than we even realize that have postpartum anxiety, but maybe not the full on depression part. And there are so many symptoms of postpartum anxiety that we don't even notice. And some of these I, I just had read about, you know, fairly recently. Can we chat about that for just a minute? What are some of the things you see in your more anxiety, postpartum anxiety patients? Because, you know, traditionally when you when especially when I used to think of anxiety, it was someone who got super nervous and anxious about something that was going to happen or may happen. But really, that's not always the case. Right. Yeah. This is going to be things I like to call it a uh, squirrel brain. <laughs> you know, like if you picture you a squirrel go. in the middle of the road, a car coming and it can't decide which direction to go, 
it you know so this starts looking like an inability to concentrate to focus to find our words that's a really common one and again this gets written off as mommy brain a lot of the time oh there's that hormone thing again right mm -hmm. but yep. it's, it's again that's one of those things where if you're running into that like when i went through this myself I knew you know, like people would say, oh, that's just age or that's just your hormones. And I'm like, no, no, this is different. I knew deep down, I know my body and my mind well. Sometimes though, when everyone else around you sounds expert, that can get pretty confusing. Right? <laughs> yes. So it's like, oh yeah, I should just ignore what I feel. It's, you know, this is, oh, this is those hormones. I'm doomed for life. You know, like sometimes women are coming into me like, oh, you know. So so when I hear those symptoms and those those calls, I'm like, when did it begin? So that's another big question that I like to ask people, not only when you revisit it, because sometimes people don't recognize what they need to revisit. So when did it begin? Well, it was ever since my my first pregnancy. Okay what happened in your first pregnancy. <laughs> like that's, that's how I get there all the time. But for some reason we just decide, Oh, this is, this is hormones or we don't even look at the beginning point. Again, it's that, that default position of I'm, I'm broken or, you know, and, and an assumption it can't be recovered when it can. So, so yeah, that's the high energy, you know, like that, confused feeling, kind of feeling on edge all the time, worrying about different things, worrying about the baby, maybe getting a little bit obsessive about some of that. Yeah, general general thoughts and anxieties. What about feelings of like anger or, you know, almost going into like a temporary moment of rage kind of? Absolutely. I'm hearing a lot, of, a lot about that recently for some reason. It's kind of becoming a buzzword, buzz topic, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of the things that'll happen. So yeah, if you think about that, if we go back to thinking about that animal brain, like what do animals do in response to danger? And so that's that fight, flight or freeze, right? Mm -hmm. And so it may feel very like, oh, I'm so out of control, or I rage at my husband, or so I do definitely hear that in my practice. And again, my question is, well, when when did that begin? You know, and maybe you have, a, I, I also ask people about their tendencies when they're in that fight or flight response as well. Like if you have a tendency to go towards anger, you're probably going to have a tendency to do that postpartum as well. That said, the, the, the perinatal type period or, you know, additional stressors can intensify things. So maybe you go into shutting down now all of a sudden. You know, like that's a that's a further anxious state that's a little further down the continuum, although some of us just have that as our built in. So that's kind of the opossum kind of response. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we just kind of like I like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so that that anger can be directed towards children, partners, just any which direction I have had moms come in like, oh, I just get so angry all the time when I, you know, like whenever I uh, drop my kid at preschool and it's like, okay, so what's, what's happening here? And, and again, we can trace it back and find that it started during that perinatal period. So interesting. Yeah. What are some 
of the most interesting triggers that you've seen that are not things that you would typically think about as triggers? I'm just curious if there's any that kind of stick out in your mind. <laughs> yes. Let me think about that. So the one, one that pops to my mind all the time is double doors. So I had somebody triggered by double doors and we figured out, and I can't even tell you how we discovered it was double doors triggering. I wish I could remember that part of the story, but where, where it went to was a memory of banging through the double doors of the OR. Wow. Yeah. So that, that was really interesting to, 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 you know, like kind of, fish through that and find that connection for the person, right? Yeah. So what are some other interesting triggers I've seen? I've seen, well, I can talk like for, for myself, I can tell mm-hmm. you a little bit about my own story. Absolutely. I had, so, so my personal story with trauma, I actually, mine was more the postnatal period and with my second child what we eventually discovered was th- was that he was engaged for a really long time and the cord was wrapped around his neck and that that conjunction of things created some some muscle tension in his throat and an impingement on his on one of his nerves Mm-hmm. But prior to discovering that for about a month and a half straight, he was, yeah, that's accurate. About a month and a half straight, he was waking every 10 minutes at night with a, with a hitch of the breath. And I realized this baby was not breathing effectively. Wow. At the same time, I was going through, I went through 20 some odd blebs, like kind of a, a high key mastitis followed by low key for a long period with breastfeeding. And so for, for my story, what started happening is after we finally figured it out after a month and a half straight, like, think about this. I, my, my child wasn't sleeping. I wasn't sleeping. I had a belief, and this was the belief that flashed through my mind in the moment, but my belief was if if I fall asleep, the baby will die. What sure. happened for me as a result of that, and of course, it, you know, like for better or worse, my husband for survival purposes, because he was our, our bread and butter at the time, had to leave the room at night because he couldn't go to, go to work functioning on waking every day. Oh, uh, of course. Yeah. This, right? So I have this frozen image in my mind of leaning over the baby and realizing that it, that it was that he wasn't breathing and thinking, wow, right. Yeah. That's, that's pretty powerful in your mind for sure. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So it doesn't even dawn on me that this had impacted me until I think it was three years down the road. It was a little ways down the road. What happened in between was I was jumping like, like literally, if there was the slightest sound in the house, I would literally jump out of bed. I'd be to my feet and heart pounding and breath, you know, like it, it was like somebody was literally there to attack me with even a pin drop in the house at night. Meanwhile, wow. I also started getting depressed and my body had never done depression before. Like I, if I get out of sorts, I go to anxiety. I'd never gone to depression. So I'm like, something different's going on here. And then I started because, because I'm me and this is how I think. I, I was like, okay, 
what's going on? This is weird. Something different's going on. So I started tracking everything and recognizing, oh, I'm most depressed the nights that I'm not sleeping well. Okay. So. Which makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe I need to go get a sleep study done. Went in for that. They, they measured, I had this alpha wave intrusion is what they call it, which is basically I'm shallow sleeping because, so this is something that happens to people who have been through trauma. If the danger comes at night, we want to be alert. Yeah. Right. And so our brain doesn't let us go into the deep wave sleep because we want to be alert. So now all of a sudden I've got this depression, I've got this alpha wave intrusion, you know, long story short, in the end, one of the things that I would get triggered by, since you're asking about interesting triggers, I started noticing, oh, I get triggered every time this kid gets a cold. The kid could have a single cough and I would be in this panic state because I had formed this story that this baby is going to die from a breathing problem. And so a little cough would like trigger me. Right. Yeah. Like, wow. How many do you hear <laughs> childhood? Right. So sure. trigger anytime. So I didn't do this with my other child because, you know, like, even though I could have been triggered on child, but I was triggered on this particular child, my second one. So anytime he would be on a playset and and he would like wiggle a little bit as, as he's playing, adrenaline shot up the back of my spine. So anyway, so I would have all these little, tr- little big triggers like that. Sure. <laughs> <They were> big. <laughs> but I hadn't even put it together because it was all, most of what was happening was happening at night mm-hmm. for me. And all of a sudden, one day I'm talking to somebody as I'm trying to sort through it. And I said, it's like I have have this hypervigilance of sleep. Well, hypervigilance is a, a key for trauma. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> took, I'm a counselor. And it took that word coming out of my mouth for me to go, oh, my gosh. And so that's when I went in for EMDR treatment for this, which is a great way to reset the nervous system. That's why I later trained in it <laughs> to help people. But it, it took that, that nervous system reset to get out of these little triggers that I, I had around it. So Wow. And, and um, I mean, like you said, you're a, you're a therapist and you weren't able to fully recognize that for, you said, like over three years. And then it still took more time. So, I mean, for someone who's not trained in anything psychological it's it's understandable that we think that it's normal or you know just try to shove it down like we were talking about absolutely yeah yeah i had the i had my jumping out of bed i was like i knew it was outsized and i'm like come on renee relax like this is what i'm I'm a yoga teacher i should know how to relax like these are the types of things i was sidelining myself and mean meanwhile i yeah i'm going through this this extreme situation and not recognizing it because i think oh i should be able to get through this i just Mm -hmm. need to relax at night you know yeah you just said a word sidelining and it's amazing how often we will sideline ourselves for something that we would tell any other person a different a different story we would tell that person like oh you, this is actually a trigger or this is something you really need to go see someone about this is not normal 
But when it's ourselves, we try to normalize it and just, you know, get over it. Right. It's, it's interesting that we do that to ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it, it's always a story of, oh, I should be able to do this. Or, you know, yeah. like in my case, well, I should be able to. I have the skill set. I know how to. No. <laughs> but, but it's also things like, you know, just again, those beliefs that time is going to heal. It's, it's things like, like a lot of my moms who come in for trauma in particular, what I hear from them is I, I'm crazy. You know, like we, we just like lump it into crazy and still we're like not taking care of ourselves. We're, mm-hmm. you know, like we're just, we're ready to assume we're broken and unfixable and this is just how it's going to be. And mm-hmm. yes, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. during that time, I literally, and, and again, this is an extreme, this had gone into PTSD for me, but I was literally, you know, losing, losing my words, couldn't access words at my worst point. I could not um, mem- remember four digits of a phone number, you know, a seven digit phone number, three of them are common to the area. I couldn't remember the last four. Where and I am like an intelligent woman, <laughs> so so this was like major impact to my brain. And what I was busy doing was like I recognized, wow, this is huge. This is my whole identity. So I need to, you know, like my proactive stance was learning ways to work around that and grieving the loss of my brain instead of mm-hmm. that I could actually recover my brain. Like I have all of that back now that I that's amazing and that that's something that anyone else would be like oh mom brain yep exactly so so when I hear people describing that level panic attacks and things like that I'm like it you can get it back you really can it's just a matter of taking that the brain allocates towards the trauma towards the stress, towards believing that that level of danger occurs. And once it's done being allocated like that, once you get it reset through something like EMDR, it, it all comes back because, because it's not needed for that anymore. Sure. Yeah. And okay, so let's talk about a little bit about EMDR for a second. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and how it works? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, so so EMDR is is one of the modalities that I use for working with pregnant women. There's there's several that we know of. I always tell my clients if they love to read, I always recommend Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score, as kind of an explanation of what's happening in the brain and then some of the modalities that work. EMDR in particular is, it stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And while that's a big mouthful, it doesn't, we don't just use eye movement anymore. It was kind of accidentally discovered that when we're focusing on traumatic material, that the eyes would tend to dart by the person who discovered this. It's kind of like REM sleep, right? Yeah. Where where your eyes dart around and that's kind of the part of your sleep where you're kind of processing material, right? And so what, what they discovered was by focusing on the traumatic event, in as much detail as you can, sight, sounds, body sensations, emotions, beliefs about yourself. So all those details that form that 
memory network in the brain. As we focus on that and reactivate it, that basically lights that memory back up in the brain. That memory network is activated. And anytime a memory network gets activated, it has an opportunity to change. This is neuroplasticity kind of at work. Okay. And so if, if we light that up by running into a red ball or a double door and we just go into our normal stress cycle, it just stays the way it is, reinforces it. But if we light it up and then we do something that, that creates this growth, this incorporation, this shift in our anxiety state with it, then it gets stored with that new information. And so EMDR, as we focus on that, we actually stimulate both sides of the body through either moving the eyes back and forth or with online work. I have people do this thing called a butterfly hug where we're tapping both shoulders or we can do alternate sounds. Sometimes if people need a little bit more stimulation, I'll have a march or do a few of those, <laughs> those things. Sure. Um, but basically, we've got this inactive memory and then we overload that working memory. And by overloading it, it creates this calming response. Interesting. And that actually shifts the way that memory is stored into more neutral. And so even though I still remember leaning over the baby that night and thinking if I let myself sleep, the baby will die, I don't have the emotional charge that I used to have over it. I, I, feel, I feel bad for that woman. You know, like I, I do still feel bad for her. I do still have the memory. But I don't have this overwhelm that went with it in the past. So it's kind of it, my experience and what others describe as well is that it's almost like it's grayed out in some way. Like it's like something I used to be able to reach into and it would take me on this crazy ride whenever I reached into it. Now mm -hmm. it's like it's out of reach a little bit when I try to. Interesting. Yeah. So, I just, as you're explaining this, I'm thinking of, you know, my, from a more of a physical therapy point of view, it, it kind of made me think of how we treat trigger points almost where we, you know, kind of put pressure and stimulate the trigger point until it fatigues out and the muscle relaxes and releases. Perfect analogy. Absolutely. Such a similar way of approaching it just for totally different aspects of the body. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So we use the, I use the EMDR process or I also, another major thing that I work with is embodied mindfulness, which is basically for, for my particular toolkit, it's using the yoga therapy that I'm trained in. Awesome. Uh, and so for that particular perspective, it's, it's about focusing on perhaps that moment or maybe, maybe you were triggered this past week. So this isn't you know, like you don't necessarily have to go to the original memory. You can you can work with something that happened like the, recently that has a little less charge to it. So don't think that you have to go to your absolute hardest moment to get through this, right? Because mm -hmm. this is related because I just got triggered by seeing a pregnant woman and seeing a pregnant woman links to that original trauma. I can work on that particular pregnant woman in the elevator. And I can focus, so with the EMDR or with the embodied mindfulness, okay, so as you imagine seeing that woman in the elevator, tell me what you're noticing in your body right now. And so we've got this imprint that is the body readying response, the body readying for what it thinks it takes to survive this experience. 
and we can stay aware of the safe present moment and recognize that we are actually safe now and we actually survived it. The pregnant lady didn't actually hurt us, you know? Therefore, that original trauma, we also survived. You know, it was hard, but we also survived. And so we use that safe present moment. And then we even engage in a, you know, like this post-traumatic growth process. Like, okay, now that I know that things happen like this, now that I've lived through it, what action do I want to take now? How do I want to incorporate this into my life, my meaning? You know, like some women, you know, come out of a challenging birth and as they heal, part of their process might be starting a support group in the area or, or another person's process may not be thinking on that level. It may just be, I, I, I'm learning how to use my voice to speak on my own behalf now or... So, so it's, it's that ability to, to take what happened, to take where our power was taken and transform it into feeling powerful again in some way. I love that, the way you just described that last part with, you know, learning how to regain our power, basically. Yeah, that's so amazing. And I have one more question for you. So uh, we've been talking a lot about like kind of a more sp- specific traumatic event. Mm-hmm. What about those who maybe, and and maybe you'll say this, this actually does originate from a traumatic event. I don't know. But for women who are feeling that postpartum anxiety or, you know, delving into depression more because like their, their, their specific needs aren't being met or there's something, um, missing like in their relationship or do, do you find that things like that still go back to a traumatic event or is that kind of a almost like an ongoing trauma that just keeps building? I would say that's person dependent truly. So you know one of the first things that I do when working with clients is the practical. You know like like I said like sleep for instance is going to drive anxiety and depression. So And usually the woman is the one getting up with the baby. So like, how can we find more ways for you to sleep? How can we, you know, like divide the labor up more equally? How can we have important conversations with our partner? And so we're constantly looking at, you know, like what, what are the things that we can be doing? Because we now have a new set of demands on us. So we have to adjust our life. And a lot of times, honestly, like, we, we think that we're preparing for a new member of the family by bringing a crib in the home, but there's a lot of adjustment <laughs> in that postpartum period and new, new contracts need negotiated. And it's not something that it's a one and done thing. It's a continuous process, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things. Now, maybe, maybe you've never had a voice right? Or you lost your voice in a relationship in the past, that would be an example of, you know, it not to be, or, or maybe, maybe when you are triggered, you go towards not being able to speak, <laughs> you know, like these are yeah. the types of things where we can. And so what I, what I do with people is if there is something that we can tap into, like, oh, I had this story from when I was five years old that, that children are to be seen and not heard. 
you know, like we can go back seventies, eighties girl. Yes. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> so we, we can go back and process that trauma. But meanwhile, so, you know, like since that's so fundamental to who we are, we're back filling with skills because, you know, like, how do mm-hmm. I have these conversations? How do I allow myself to, to show up in this way and, and engage in the needed boundaries and conversations and stuff? So, so it's, it's a combination a lot of times with stuff like that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we are about out of time. And I know we covered a lot of ground there, which is pretty amazing. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we go today? Yeah. I I think that what I'd love to do actually is dip back into, you know, like that birth preparation phase. Yeah. You know, like as as you move into your birth, I think it's really important, like uh, you mentioned at the beginning, like this loss of birth plan. That is a really common one that I see. Normally there's an emergency situation, so there's this threat, but sometimes it's it's just a just, and I apologize for using the word just there, but it's a veer from what was expected. And our, you know, like maybe we have a high need for control to feel safe. So that veer from what's expected feels very dangerous to us, regardless mm-hmm. of how you know severe of a veer from the planet is, right? So I, I like to work with my women who are preparing for a birth, first of all, to recognize what types of things might throw you for a loop and to, to actually calm those expectations. You can do that with EMDR and with embodied practices as well. So even very though- cool. the, the trauma hasn't happened yet. You are when you imagine something happening, you're 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 basically drawing information from past experiences and projecting it forward. So we can work on that imagined situation to calm all of these things that you're drawing from, these old experiences that you're drawing from, and you can be more calm as you face it. So maybe oh, that's awesome. Here is I'm going to have a C-section. Okay, let's let's just calm around that. But then the second part of that is actually as you create your birth plan, being working with women to tell them, you know, like you'll you'll see things where they're like, I want A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, and that's a perfect birth, right? But what's really true about how we move through life is we want to feel something. We put together A through G because we think that if we get those precise things, we are going to feel something at the end. We're going to feel good. We're going to feel empowered. We're going to feel safe. We're going to feel like we can conquer the world. Like whatever it is, there is a felt state in our body. And so what I have people do is I have them tune into what they imagine A through G adds up to. And I have them feel it. And then we go through that birth plan and say, what happens if this doesn't happen that way? And we play with what directions it could go and how we can figure out which one of those feels the most like that end state. So we're like building this fluidity, this flexibility into their plan, their nervous system, because they can start seeing, oh, it doesn't have to be A through G. It might veer at A. And I can still tune in and move towards something that feels more like that end state. And when we do that, 
when we when we create a, a little bit more fluid of a system like that, that makes it makes the entire person, the entire being more more flexible and a flexible system tends not to get traumatized as easily. So it's 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 a process. You know, like, of course, we all have our ideals. I definitely had my ideal plan lightened out, but it's a process. It's a process of taking that time to work through it and to calm each time that feels scary. You know, like, again, that can be an EMDR process, but to get to the other end. So I literally have worked with women who I'm thinking of one person in particular who had a traumatic birth. We worked together, we calmed that birth, and we created this more flexible belief system. She ended up having the exact same birth the second time, unfortunately. Wow. She messaged me and she said it was completely different this time. It, It went the same way for whatever reason for her body. She said, I felt empowered this time. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I love how you said creating the fluidity and flexibility, you know, because it's it is a fluid thing. It You kind of have to move and let your mind adjust. And and sometimes adjusting on the fly isn't isn't the easiest thing to do. Exactly. Yeah, especially and and one of the challenges in that birth room is, you know, like what what often will trigger people is they're not being communicated too effectively. You know, of course, try to find a birth team that's good at communicating. We don't always have control over that. You know, don't blame yourself if that, you know, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. but look for that. But yeah, absolutely. Like on the fly, things happen. And if you are tuned into what your true purpose is in the birth, you're going to get through it better. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Because, I mean, it's hard enough when you're ordering at a restaurant and they don't have the food that you want to figure out what you want on the fly, let alone when you're in the thralls of birth and, you know, everyone's throwing 10 different things at you and you're trying to process everything. And yeah, that's having that ability to kind of roll with it. It would be amazing. So that's awesome that you can do that kind of preemptively. Yeah. Yep. It's really just all about bringing it into the body. You know, like if we can feel it, if we can have it in the body, embodied in that way, it's more on an instinctive level being able to. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed talking with you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to to see what you do with this podcast and glad that you're reaching out and informing mothers. Thanks for joining me on the All Out Motherhood podcast. Want more? Head over to alloutmotherhood.com for show notes, links, and discounts from today's episode. And while you're there, be sure to join the All Out Motherhood Collective Facebook community, where you'll find even more support to get you to that positive test and through all the rest of your motherhood journey. See you next time.